0: q Quest episode 1, 2, 3. Uh, I'm your host, Mike F., a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always,
1: uh, Looking for directions to Sesame Street, family master, David Vernon. and Hopefully we'll get Kaijin on at some point during this, uh,
0: but we will endeavor on until that point, because we have many questions, and I would like to go to bed at some point tonight.
1: It's, it's funny how you how you dreamed that does raise the question of uh what what questions we're going to tackle first since we have ones from the discord that are older
0: let's look at discord first since we got our own channel and promptly answered none of them
1: yeah that seems healthy
0: but i want to start with the newest to oldest you you just you just really want to fight right now don't you yeah but we got a good one right right at the newest spot From Mistweaver, which is, what percentage of your purchases are digital?
1: Uh, for me, probably about 50-50. Wheels is probably a more interesting story. Yes, it's um, mostly physical,
0: and then um, lots of digital purchases that involve being lazy
1: and not wanting to switch carts and discs. Like, that's the magical thing, is that a lot of times wheels will own the physical version and the digital version, because yes. Reasons. I don't... I don't. I don't feel like they're good ones, but they are reasons. Yeah, probably not.
0: Uh, this is probably why it's a good thing that the 3ds you can't move digital purchases around. So I just have lots of carts and very
1: few digital purchases. But on the uh, Switch, you're a completely broken, man. A human being. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I <laughs> I've set up some rules for like games that I only buy digitally. If it's online only. I no longer buy any of those physically at all, unless it's some special edition, and a lot of times even not that because... How often is something point? that's
1: online only not in a ludicrous special edition, though?
0: Um, I mean, I don't buy them all. I didn't buy the... Yeah, yeah. I've bought a single Destiny collector's edition and was very unsatisfied with it, so that was the last time that happened. The
1: original Destiny? Destiny 2? Uh, it but...
0: was... The first big expansion
1: for Destiny One. I don't remember what that's called. Is Taken King one or Yes, it's Taken King. Okay. Why do I remember
0: that? It's your fault. I don't know. Yeah, it's very likely my fault. <laughs> uh in the other case is I some...
1: said he feels very privileged financially, but he doesn't do that. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> yeah, I'm crazy. Um but, I mean, it's not... I don't. I also don't keep all these physical games. I sell and trade them in. Yeah.
1: Like, if, if you not, buy the digital edition, I'd imagine you usually sell the physical. Yeah, and a
0: lot of times when I'm getting rid of old stuff, I, I transfer that into digital credit to buy stuff or buy digital versions of stuff. Which makes sense. Because, I mean, there's also the issue is being so into video games I have lots of them and sometimes it can be they're actually a physical problem yes so it can be quite handy to just have a digital copy of something and you know and that's that but I, I have been I have been getting a lot better I think of not buying a physical copy of a game that I really don't want it for like I had a physical copy of God of War. I recently dumped that and just got the digital version because I, I like it a lot. It's surprisingly way better than the original series, but I really don't care to have a disc of that. throw to those things like it's care. a lot better,
1: but I mean, I don't care enough. Yeah.
0: And the other one is fighting games. I generally do not buy physical versions of that because I find uh it's not something I usually play single player unless I'm just doing playing a few rounds or something. So uh, again, it goes back to like the the annoyance of getting down a disc just to like play a few rounds of Street Fighter or something. So unless it's the case where like with the recent Street Fighter collections for Switch, I got it cheaper physically, uh, only digital there. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's kind of. Mix and match, trying cute yeah, whatever seems most convenient. Um, like something like I've got obviously I've got a card of Bloodstained that's probably a game I'm going to replay a lot over the years, so I'm sure I'm going to grab that digitally at some point. Uh, but not right now. or And sometimes it's like uh, I have some extra money, I just want to buy the digital copy of this game because it's something I don't know will succeed and I want to throw out some extra money. Doesn't, probably won't make a difference in the long run, but you know, it feels nice. Like I did that for Valkyria Chronicles, because I felt like that game probably wasn't going to do well and probably did not do all that well. So, <laughs> whatever.
1: Oh, a 4-4 game.
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful game. You should all buy it.
1: I don't have money, dude. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. Please right. buy my blood. Cheap, cheap prices. How cheap are we talking here? You don't need blood then.
0: Is it like a... Are we talking like a per-court rate? Or or how does the pricing I work I can't here?
1: sell you a court at once. <laughs> I'll die.
0: I don't know these things. I don't know volumes. Do
1: you not know how much blood is in a human? <laughs>
0: I don't. I don't know how things work.
1: Uh, How blood works. For the record. (laughs) For the record, there's usually about, you know, let's see, four quarts in a gallon. There's, you know, close to a gallon-ish of human blood, of blood in a person. So, two two pints in a quart. So about let's see, four quarts in a gallon, so about eight pints. One quart of that is probably enough to, to pot. That's that's dangerous. There's yeah. a reason they don't take more of the pint out of it. All right.
0: Well, let's move on to this wonderfully deep question. How many licks does it take for Lickitung to get to the Tootsie Roll Center of a Tootsie Pop?
1: Uh, it, its tongue is like ten times the size of a Tootsie Pop, so I would imagine that the answer is one sounds about right I feel uh, like there's, there's really no option for it otherwise it's just like the, the Tootsie Pop just sits on its tongue
0: more importantly, more importantly more importantly next question from some Joe dude who I guess is deaf or something and I may know definitely in real life or something before. Isn't yokai watch just a total ripoff of Pokemon? More importantly, what is this farting butt yokai called? I don't remember.
1: But I he's hilarious. I don't know the yokai watch, and he seems upsetting.
0: He's quite disturbing. Uh, <laughs> the answer is yes, and the answer is also no. Like, and the answer is it's, uh... it's a harder no than most of the Pokemon ripoffs. Like there's there's lots of decent Pokemon ripoffs that
1: um, let's all talk about Robopong. that do
0: their own thing, but really at the end of the day they're still Pokemon ripoffs. Whereas yo Watch, yeah, it it certainly is, especially if you look at a lot of the designs and whatnot. Yeah. But from a game, a pure game perspective, it definitely differentiates itself quite a lot. Like, from theme, from pure ridiculous comedy, to gameplay mechanics, um, yeah, it's quite quite different. And uh, if you watched uh, the stream before the show, where it's playing yo Watch 4, that is a type of gameplay that Pokemon will never do in a non-spinoff, so... Because people I, like Pokemon's gameplay. Yeah. It's it's really its own thing and it's grown into like more of its own thing as it's gone along and been, I'd say, less like Pokemon while still kind of maintaining that sort of catch and trade and
1: whatever them kinda of mentality. So yeah. In but, conclusion, it's actually the logical successor to devil children. Sort of, yeah. <laughs>
0: But I mean, lots, lot. There's lots of great game series that are like, oh, that's just, that started off as just a ripoff of this, and it kind of evolved into something else.
1: Like I'm sure. Some... Want to pull out the freaking uh, Simpsons joke about uh, all all cartoon characters just being knockoffs yeah. of old sitcom characters.
0: Well, I mean, you look at something like let's go way back in the day, uh, Castlevania two. Some people may have looked at that and then I guess called it a rip-off of Metroid, maybe? I don't know.
1: No, I don't think people were saying that at the time. Although in Japan you might say, oh, this is weirdly a sequel to the MSX Castlevania that sucked real bad.
0: <laughs> but I mean, yeah, there's... So, so maybe not that. But there's...
1: There is a there's, common school of thought. That, for example, NES Ninja Gaiden is basically a knockoff of NES Castlevania. Right.
0: But as time went on, it's, it obviously became its own thing. What do you think, But Yu-Gi-Oh! got really popular for a whole moment. What? what uh, why I, think, you, I
1: think he's just talking about knockoffs.
0: Oh, yes. Why are you distracting me with his I, I get distracted by random Yu-Gi-Oh! enough from Dave. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's really fun to just send him, like, a very confusing card description, watch yeah. it destroy his yes, brain. Yes, you sent
0: me one yesterday, where it's like, equips monster, gets zero attack or <laughs> something. Zero attack! I didn't even know how to respond to that!
1: <laughs> I was wondering if you'd seen that one, I had, didn't say I... <laughs> It's like, oh, this is a card that
0: literally does nothing. <laughs> That was going to be my question, but I, I just like kept thinking about it because I'm like hey, that they couldn't have printed that card. Why would they print a card that does absolutely nothing? And I guess
1: they did. Apparently, that uh, that card uh, combos off with other cards that have similar names, so that's fine Yeah, oh, as always. One day we'll play each other in that, just so that I can watch your brain melt down in real time as you watch how those decks actually function. Oh, God. Ugh. The only thing that will make me play card games is Spite. <laughs> is Yu-Gi-Oh! still popular? They still make it, so, I mean, popular enough. That's a funny thing. Yeah,
0: as far as I can tell, all the card text is completely incomprehensible.
1: Like, I believe the longest card text is nearly 200 words.
0: Why, why is every single card a wall of text? It's not even. Hey, hey. It's, it's not written well either. It's just like. If you special summon this monster oh. in your Q zone while also uh, balancing sure. a card on your head sure. and eating a cupcake, it in does that. Yes. It's. <laughs> I, I start reading any of them and it's just like my brain shuts off in
1: protest a lot, of times, a lot of times they'll have really good things where it's like oh this can all, once this thing's been sent to the graveyard it can activate another effect as long as you're willing to throw it out of your graveyard <laughs> uh, mm. good times
0: oh we're my god
1: uh, right. yeah uh there's, there's a lot of. Like, Pokemon became a genre, and Yokai watches in that genre. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> um, and I've really, I think, latched onto it, because unlike things like. You know, I hope Platy-M isn't a thing. Unlike things like Dragon Quest Monsters, which is nice and fun, but <laughs> too close to Pokemon and not as good. <clears throat> Okay, watch does something like different and fresher with the formula. You'll which, get a nice earphone. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it's you know, it's the same thing that I think most same reason I think most monster hunter clones failed, because they tried to do the same thing, only not as well and not really differentiate themselves very much.
1: And they just stunk. <laughs> if you're if you're making a clone, you have to give something, anything that makes you at least a comparable product on a different, like maybe like sometimes being a comparable product when the comp, when the product you're compared to only exists on another platform is enough. But like, otherwise you need to have some sort of hook. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's why Dauntless
0: kind of bounced right off me. It was like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't very good. (laughs) It's, it's just mediocre, Monster Hunter, and it's it doesn't do anything to really differentiate, differentiate itself at all. So,
1: meh. are there any clones that surpass the original popularity? Oh, plenty of them. But I mean, it's often hard to find the original when someone uh, when, <laughs> when the clone has outshone it. Yeah. I mean, we could even just talk about how like. Fortnite, came, Fortnite Battle Royale came about in response to uh, Frickin' PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, and definitely one of those has become much more popular than the other. Yep. Just to name a recent one. I mean, like, that, it's, yeah.
0: it's not that uncommon. But, but I mean, if you're going to play one of those two, you should not, and you should play Apex Legends instead. That one's more interesting. That's true, true. Uh-huh. Or play Realm Royale where when somebody gets down they turn into a chicken. Is
1: that how that works? Yep. Is that how humans work? <laughs> sure is. Well, I know what I'm doing next time that we meet. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, let's move on to some other questions. We have questions from New Person Madness. Uh who says, I felt compelled to come here to say that Iron Fist and Luke Cage are both great and go better together. And I had no idea I was listening to a podcast by crazy pe- people, which really seems like a mistake on my part. It is because we make that pretty clear right from the off, I think. Because I mean,
1: we, we made an entire episode about our love of Saga. So.
0: Yes. And also our first guest was Beat and we talked about Sonic. So
1: Yeah, we, <laughs> we was made that. choices. Yes, we said things. I, I, we have to remember that a lot of people are probably not listening from the beginning. So. That's true. Uh, you
0: should go back and listen to the listen from the start. It's a, sh- it's a journey.
1: Build up the deep lore. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, I mean, it's a case of like Iron Fist is a lot better with Luke Cage, but I like Luke Fa- Cage just fine by himself.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fun. See. I liked Iron Fist the show but the character Iron Fist was the worst part of the show
1: (laughs) okay well this this entire like Defenders universe is done so let's not spend time on that
0: well um quote unquote done I think they're I think it's all gonna reappear
1: on Disney Plus at some point I'm sure that those shows will but I think it's much more likely that those characters end up getting rebooted or (laughs) recast uh so sure but we shall
0: see but yeah i mean they're still there they're still worth watching if if you're gonna Follow watch them. them you it's you, you probably most people listening to probably have netflix you know it doesn't hurt to try them out you know it, but what if you really want to watch unless you're is, squeamish about violence or yes. uh,
1: certain subject matter and just as well
0: yeah uh but um Daredevil is really the one you want to watch, anyway.
1: That first season of Daredevil really set people's uh, expectations, perhaps higher than any of them were able to. Uh,
0: Definitely, and um, definitely way too high. And it's—I think people were pretty hard on the other shows, but it's uh, way too hard, I think. But they were all pretty fun. Especially Luke Cage was a lot of fun.
1: I just like Luke Cage. I just want Luke Cage in more things. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Let's
1: see. Well, there there were actual questions here. Yes.
0: I should probably give some questions, too. Here's some. Do you think horror is a genre antithetical to being done in RPGs, or has it just not really been done quite right yet? I can look at games like Shadow Hearts. That one, psychic-themed one, I barely remember. Galarians, I think.
1: Galarians is real. There are two of those, actually. Uh-huh. Also, for some reason, the cutscenes from one of them got cut together along with some bad music and put on MTV. Interesting.
0: Um, they seem pretty light and horror for
1: the player, at least.
0: Um... Uh,
1: I mean, especially Shadow Hearts. past one is uh, goof-fest. Um, but, I mean, like certainly you can do horror themes, but like the traditional turn-based RPG is hard to scare someone with. Yeah. Uh, certainly like one of the, the early, one of the earliest examples of horror as a genre in games or horror as a thematic element in games certainly is an RPG. I mean, Sweet Home is NES RPG as hell and very, very mean, uh, And that's kind of the problem uh, is that horror in games walks a big tightrope where a game that's scary generally can't afford to kill the player. Because once it kills the player the player reloads and the game doesn't the game's played its last card. It can't do anything worse to you than having killed you. (laughs) And The problem when you play Sweet Home is that this game is too hard to be scary. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of, uh, what about the game Okage? Something I never played but know of it. Okage Shadow King, that's more like, think more Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, it's joke horror. Like, everyone in it is, like, obsessed with the aesthetic of horror. Without actually being scary. Um I'll talk about that a bit more when I'm finished answering this question because I have played Okage Shadow King. Nice. Uh, but, uh, like, you know, you you make a horror game and, like, so the thing about a horror movie that makes it a really ideal version of the genre, like, even more so than a novel, where the the user, the, where, like, the book cannot modulate how quickly you're reading. And so it can't build out... How, how it can't enforce pacing as well as a movie like a movie can really enforce pacing and a game has advantages over a movie because it forces the player to feel more connected to the horror and it can surprise you even if you've play, seen a scenario once but the problem is that again horror comes from the dread that something bad is about to happen and once something bad happens I mean, it's already happened, and it can't put the genie back in the bottle. It has to build up to more dread. Right. And the more times you see something bad happening that's the same, the less that that's going to scare you. So, uh, I think RPGs in general, this the slow pace of a turn-based RPG makes them largely uniquely unsuited to this kind of game experience. Uh, the feeling of disconnection that turn-based combat creates also gives the player a chance to detach from the horrific nature of what is supposed to be happening. So you would need to move into sort of an action horror realm. And when you get in there, like you start moving into action game, like the RPG elements end up becoming the inventory management elements because if they're RPG elements built around your character advancing, that means you are growing more effective against the impending threat, which makes the impending threat less scary. So there's a lot to unpack. Uh, see. Budai brings up, there was also a PS2 game where you were a ghost wandering around talking to people. This one the opposite. I think you might be thinking of Sukunai Atonement, which is... Or are you thinking of Echo Knight? That's not an RPG. Um, Echo Knight's more of like an adventure game. Uh, Sukunai Atonement is neat, but not horror-themed at all. It's a game about being cast out of your body for Uh, Insulting a goddess and having to do good, possess people to do good deeds for them (laughs) to earn your body back. It's a neat game. Uh, PS1 game Shadow Hearts had a prequel called Kodelka. Yeah, Kodelka. I mean, like Kodelka is trying to combine to square the circle of RPG and survival horror, but it's kind of just really bad at both, so it doesn't matter. I don't. I, I admit that I don't think what it's trying to do can be done effectively. But I also don't think that it did the best job it could have. It's got, like, tactile RPG elements, and, yeah, it's, it's kind of a mess. I believe some of the characters from Podoka do appear in Shadow Hearts 1, though. Uh, but, yeah, so you also have, uh, let's see, Okage Shadow King was kind of a cutesy, like, it felt like an RPG built for people who hadn't played a lot of RPGs. It's, like, it's very simplified in a lot of ways. Uh, like it's it's designed to be played very quickly and it's, it's cute it's not outside of its like aesthetic it's not a particularly memorable game but I mean it was one of the handful of PS2 games where if you uh, were accessing it in the memory card manager doing like choosing the delete option or the Copy option would have the uh, little memory card icon do different things. <laughs> if you if you did the like the because the the entire game's premise was that like a demon had possessed the main character's Shadow, His demon name was like Stan.
0: Stan but, the uh, demon.
1: Yeah. Nice. Let's see if I can find this to make sure. Uh... But basically, like he possessed... like originally he had possessed the main character's sister's shadow, uh, and the like. His parents like offered the main character as a trade, essentially. Where okay, yeah. His full name is officially Stanley High Hat Trinidad the Fourteenth. Okay then. I appreciate that. Uh, but like basically your parent, the main character's parents offer him as a trade, uh, like Stan's allowed to possess him, uh, in exchange for leaving his sister. Uh, and so you get, you end up, uh, quote unquote possessed, which basically means he lives in your shadow and tells you to do things. Uh, so you sort of wander around because he wants to be the king, the, you know, the, the biggest, baddest demon around. Uh, I believe they originally like get like they originally sell her to him on the basis that like he'll cure some sort of curse she has it, it's weird like you end up finding a bunch of people that he is like variously you find people he has possessed before they're easy to spot because everyone whose shadow he has taken control of their sh- when he leaves their shadow is left pink so it's it's, it's a weird cutesy sort of game it's it's amusing it's not altogether that memorable but it's kind of a it was one of those things you played because it was like an august 2001 ps2 game just before like actual games started coming out for it okay october 2001 still around the point where games were actually starting to come out for the dang thing (laughs) uh Fine enough. I believe it's available on PS4 for some reason, probably because Sony owns it lock, stock, and barrel. But, uh, yeah, it's cute enough. Uh, but yeah, I can't identify what other game I was talking about as regards to, like, it might have been Echo Knight, it might have been Super 9. it might have been something else. Uh, let's see. Uh, what's your favorite apocalyptic scenario in an RPG?
2: Hmm. Uh,
0: the the one in horizon zero dawn but there's probably still people who haven't played it so i don't want to talk about it
1: i do really uh as a general rule i like the idea of an apocalypse that has happened so far in the past that people have kind of lost track of what it looked like beforehand yeah (laughs) Like you kind of get that in Breath of the Wild as well. It's like, eh, I mean, yeah, yeah, that happened. We're like the world got destroyed. People kept on. <laughs> That's a good uh, aesthetic,
0: I think. I agree. Although I really like like it in Horizon Zero Dawn because you get kind of you get that, and you also get kind of a look, a really deep look at what exactly happened. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, everyone doesn't know what happened, but you also get to uncover do, what you do. <laughs> you get to see what happened, and it's quite interesting and different. And that game was freaking awesome.
1: Uh, I saying this question becomes an SMT versus Fallout if you take it at face value. Eh, kind of, but I mean, like... I don't think either of those has really explored the apocalypse in a fashion that's that interesting outside of, like, SMT1, the apocalypse happens, like, halfway through. (laughs) But, like, I feel like there's not enough look at society in Shin Megami Tensei and like, a broad spectrum to really uh, do justice to the apocalyptic concept. And Fallout is, like, variously, like, completely lost in having yucks about the retro-futuristic aesthetic and completely misunderstanding the retro-futuristic aesthetic, depending upon which game you're playing. So <laughs> its uh, I, I feel like they're both ideas with a lot more potential than has been explored. SMT, I would say, has explored it more, especially in some of the more recent games, but it's still... Uh, like, they're not games as much about the... Apo- you know what? Devil Survivor had a good one.
0: Devil Survivor was still one of my favorite uh SMT games of all time. I love that
1: yeah, game. Yeah, Devil Devil Survivor has one because like it's the situation where the apocalypse is knocking on your door. And that's that's a rarely like in video games it's often like if you fail, the apocalypse will happen. Yeah. But Devil Survivor sets it up so that like you are seeing what the apocalypse is going to be. And then like, if you don't stop things, it's just going to get destroyed even harder. Yep. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting, uh, that was an interesting pass out of. Uh, Devil Survivor 2 kind of doesn't pursue that aesthetic as interestingly, but I mean, they're both still, they're both still good. Yeah. Why does everyone always forget about Weapon Raid when talking about FF7 music? One of the more simple tracks, but also one of the most memorable in my mind. The first time it plays in game is a great dramatic moment. I am very bad at remembering tracks by name, so I'm going to go look at that right now. Will <laughs> you, do, you do a thing while I do that?
0: Okay. Weapon Raid is that what you said? Yeah, Weapon Raid. Yeah, actually, I should not play because then
1: that'll. Mess yeah. Up the oh, I know what one this is.
0: Which one? Uh,
1: it's like this light motif. Like it's 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 built up of a lot of some light motifs that have appeared in various other songs to that point. Which is, I think, part of the problem, is that it's a good version, but it isn't the first time you hear a lot of the things that compose the song. Gotcha. At least that's how it sounds to me. I'd have to double check like that. I'm not just conflating a bunch of songs, you know. It's been a little while, but uh, it's it's a good track. Um, it's associated with climatic, some climactic moments, but they aren't as climactic as some of the really really uh, big big moments that get songs that are completely out of left field, like Genova or uh, One Winged Angel or things like that so it's, it's one of those things where it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle it's for important moments but it's not for it's far enough in that it doesn't uh, stand out as much and it's not at the ending uh, so it's a good track, ff Seven soundtrack is great I'll probably give that track a more uh, thorough listen and see if I can uncover more thoughts about it as time goes by All right. uh, and one more from Madness you guys prefer open ended growth progression for characters in RPGs or set paths with less customization option in terms of abilities and stats? Sphere, get, sphere grid versus set jobs, I guess. If you had to condense it. I personally prefer heavy customization and wonder if one of the reasons roguelikes in run based games recently tend to be popular is because you get an accelerated version of that character creation and growth. I don't really associate uh, roguelikes with giving you a lot of character customization options, but maybe that's just me.
0: I think it just means like. The, the sense of... Character not, growth. Yeah, character growth. Like, you kind of get... um, I don't want to say high, but you kind of get, like... It you is, get to
1: experience that on an accelerator. Right,
0: right. And, yeah, I would uh, say that's why I like a lot of them, so I can't really disagree with that.
1: Yeah. uh, I generally, like... I mean, I cut my teeth on games like FF7, which are super, super customization-heavy, so that's generally where I'll go. But, I mean, like, certainly I'm not immune to the charm of a well-implemented, like, system that is designed that is, you know, like, each character has a job, and they just do that. Yeah. I mean, like, and certainly I'm not a huge fan of customization that I don't think works that well. I'm going to cough and pretend not to say FFA but say it very clearly. <coughs> Final thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. like, Or even, like, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Sphere Grid because it's trying to have its cake and eat it, too. Like, yeah. Like, that is a game where it pretends to be customizable, but until you get to, like, post-game... Doing any sort of actual customization is just going to make the game impossible (laughs) like i i know this because it's what i did the first time i like tried to break into other grids and what i found is that like no the bosses are designed expecting you to have like a very specific loadout and like i know i know that like oh someone beat the game without ever using the sphere grid and like yeah but that required them to know everything about the game right like the, the normal player that has not had the chance to learn the game inside and out is expected to uh, is not expect is expected to be going down the grid basically straight straight down at a fairly specific pace that mm-hmm. the game expects you to be keeping. So, I think that that's a case where like you can try to please both and end up backfiring because like they they don't often serve the same function but like I I really like being able to do stupid things to a game uh which is part of why like the FF12 Zodiac job system is better balanced but I like being able to make my characters stupid (laughs) I I like being able to make everyone an unstoppable, unkillable Godman so you know uh does ff 7 soundtrack have more in common with 4, 5, or 6, or 8, 9, and 10? It has more in common with 8, 9, and 10 because it's much longer. Mm. Um, like, the SNES games don't have as much time to... Uh, they don't have as much space to make the really strange experimental tracks that you might not like, but they sure are weird, like uh, Honey Bee and... Uh, <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Uh, it's it's a goofy, goofy, goofy soundtrack. I love it. Um, but, yeah. Um, I guess I guess I would just say, like, you really need to commit to what you're doing, because I've basically never seen a game that splits the difference and it works. Uh, like, but, yeah, yeah, like, I mean, one of my favorite things is looking at some of the weirdest, like, Materia com- combinations you can manage in FF7. Like, I mean, quad cut, uh, like, quad cut slash all steel as well, final attack, all those, like, putting any of those really stupid things together. I really love final attack as a concept. It's, it's like, uh, you get to, like, if something manages to completely party wipe you, you still have an option. <laughs> It's, it's a it's a neat thing. Uh, that, that's another thing that, like, steel as well is neat because it's kind of taking the concept of mug and allowing you to apply it to everything. <laughs> it's like, oh, you could mug or you could do something much dumber. <laughs> uh, added effects is a really neat one like a lot there's a lot of these that like the junction system kind of does these things but it does them in a much more unclear way and because all of your stats are built on it 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 hurts a lot more if you don't understand it whereas like materia like you're you have a lot more It, it also like the materia system doesn't discourage you from ever casting magic which is a problem that the junction system has is it just to compare these open-ended ones? Say what? Uh,
0: I was gonna say it, it discourages you, which makes it really bad because you use lots of summons,
1: shake forever, and just. The, the problem mm. is that the ideal way to use the junction system is to junction all of your stats to level stupid, and then never fight anything <laughs> except bosses, which you'll kill instantly. Oh, here comes a new challenger!
2: Hey. hello. Were we just talking about Final Fantasy VIII? yes, yes. Uh, I was thinking if they ever remake that game the first thing they're going to have to do is put in a logical limit to the number of spells you can juncture to any given stat so you have some reason to use the things beyond just boosting yourself
1: like the the pro- yeah like there's really a major problem with like the 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 ideal strategy in that game is to hoard as many spells as possible and just only ever use the attack command and that's really really a boring way to play
2: yeah It's like max it out like 10 to 50, depending on the spell and everything else you just use.
1: Yeah, like that would be that would be wise, especially for like super high level spells that you're not going to get a lot of anyway. It's just like Mm -hmm. max those out higher. But I mean, like they're they're doing a remaster. We're never going to get a remake of that game. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. Uh, Also, good to hear from you. At least not for another 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a Mm -hmm. while. By then, FF Seven remake will be finished, and they can do that again. But uh, eventually, yeah. And people will be uh, clamoring for an FF Six remake that we'll never get. Um, <laughs> playing uh, Ultimate mode or regular mode? I wasn't looking at you, when you were in the menu. What's that? Are you playing in Ultimate mode or regular mode? I wasn't looking at you in the menu.
0: Um, uh, normal mode. Was it casual okay, so and something else?
1: Like it's evident that your that your Zangetsu does not have any abilities other than swing a sword and jump. So. Correct. But yeah, uh, we were just going down questions in the Discord. Uh, uh, except some of these questions that looks gave us a couple weeks ago. Sure. Uh, if you had to choose one machine to play games on for the next year, what would you choose? Obviously take E3 into account, but also explore the library a bit. Can P- uh, PC can be included along with consoles as well. Uh, I basically already do this, but like, if I could just play everything on Switch, I wouldn't play anything on anything else.
2: Yeah. Uh, Honestly, if this were an excuse for me to get a Switch, I'd just go for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just one of those things where like, I just want to be able to play it anywhere that I want at my convenience. That's the way that I want to play things. Yeah. <laughs> and like there are there are games I w- it would hurt my soul to not be playing FF7 remake, but I mean like if I had to pick one, it would it would end up being Switch. So take from that what you will. It sounds like we're kind of all in agreement on that one. Yeah. Uh
0: Prior to the Switch, it would have been 3DS, so it's kind of the same thing.
1: want to be. We able just to... like portable games, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it fits your busy lifestyle. Let's see. Uh, let's back up. I guess we can switch to the next. Do you think Marvel will ever make new superheroes and give them a standalone game? Oh, buddy, the last time that happened ended bad. Ooh, had any bad.
2: Which yeah, I that?
1: mean, what was it? Oh, I was, I was going to say, the last time they made new superheroes and made a game around them, it was called Marvel oh. Nemesis Rise of the Imperfects. And that is a bad game with bad new characters. <laughs> oh.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a case of anything that anything big that Marvel does is supported by everything that came before it. And that's part of what makes it successful. Yeah. And like, so,
1: they
2: do new... Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, making up completely new characters for a new medium, you're abandoning a lot of what actually gives the Marvel Universe its strength. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you're taking a massive risk on whether or not the writers that you hire for this thing actually know what they're doing. Whereas even if-, if you're using older characters, then even if the writers don't really know what they're doing, they still have stuff to fall back on. Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, it's not like Marvel and DC have never tried initiatives to, like, try to bring in new heroes. But the problem is that those characters, they don't have the kind of stickiness because they don't have years and years of brand loyalty and cultural awareness. But they're also just, like, new characters tend to have to define themselves by being different from an old character. And there's so many of them floating around that it's hard to do that. Yeah, like,
0: uh, for every say harley quinn who originated in the batman cartoon there's like a million characters like uh that new villain they came up with for that batman game based on the batman animated series what's his name mm-hmm. i have no idea because he was that i'm trying more to work ingenieric. out which one
1: you're talking about because there's several um yeah it was Do the one that had a new batman, villain batman rises sin zoo yes yeah, the one yeah, I don't think anyone has thought of Sinzu since that game came out. Nope. And I don't think anyone was thinking about it much then. Nope. But uh, yeah, yeah, like that's because they're immediately they they feel like they tried to do the same thing. Like they they half did the same thing with Batman: Arkham Knight, where it's like, oh, we've got a new villain, the Arkham Knight, and then it's like a uh, spoiler, he turns out to be like an older character. But like the point is that like. When that character is going to debut in a piece of like spin off material, it's going to feel like, oh, you just did this so that there would be something that looked new. Yeah. And like when you get when you get a character like Harley Quinn, like that character had to exist as like a backup for a primary, like very popular character. hmm They couldn't have made a Harley Quinn type character who was not attached to someone
2: like the Joker. Ad- Adjunct to somebody else. And Yeah. Yeah, and, and then they get um <laughs> break out because they're being well written in relation to the first character. Yeah.
1: And then like then you're able to move them into their own stories. And it
0: also doesn't hurt that uh, Harley Quinn got oh. to interact with a character voiced by Mark Hamill. <laughs> it certainly
1: helped. I think I think Gaijin can't hear us anymore. Sucks. Oh no. Man, I'm still trying to work out if Simzu had any sort of character that wasn't Yellow Peril stereotype? Probably not. Because that name is super Yellow Peril sounding. Yeah.
0: Kaijin. Can you hear us? That sounds like enough. Doesn't Ah, yeah, the wonders of technology.
1: Uh, I'm trying to I'm like like reading this very quickly, trying to read through a very short version of Sinzu's backstory, and it's the dumbest thing in the world. Um, That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, he has the distinct stink of a character that was made for a video game that they didn't care that much about. <laughs> Which, uh, running theme, running theme. And I'm trying to remember who all the imperfects were in Marvel Nemesis. That was the fun thing about Rise of the Imperfects, was like this idea of like, oh, this will star heroes that aren't like traditional heroes. They're not perfect. And it's like, wasn't that the entire gimmick of Marvel for decades? Yeah. Like I don't know Kinda what what more imperfect. Yeah, like I don't know how you can make them more imperfect than like, freaking Commander Alcoholism and Commander, my life is broken outside of being Spider's Man. <laughs> mm. Oh yeah, the Punisher was in that game. I <sighs> that's just guy with guns who kills people. Yeah. What a perfect shining hero, the Hulk. What a perfect shining hero. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of these words like that. The concept for this just didn't like they couldn't think of a way to uh, a way to explore things that made sense. So they just did this. Mm. Also, all of them have bad names like Fault Zone, Brigade. Jeez. Niles Van Rokel. Excuse me, what? <laughs> Niles Van Rokel. No, that's a joke. That's gotta be a
0: that's joke. That's a real name and his powers are The wet. Wink. The I wink. don't know.
1: None of the... Like, even Marvel wikis don't bother with these Jokers.
2: <laughs> okay, I'm back again, and suddenly I'm reminded of the opening sequence to Lego Batman.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: man. I have probably not will, seen that. Probably no. worth a you, Google. You haven't
2: seen that? No, oh, I haven't. Then, then, just for the fun thing from the first few minutes of the movie, the Joker is bragging to a captive... Uh, um, airplane pilot about how he's hired or gotten together all these great, all these villains, second-rate villains to attack Gotham while he's doing his big heist. Mm-hmm. And he starts listing them off, and he goes into ridiculous detail on which ones he's got all the way down to Condiment King. Oh,
1: man. That's someone that, having a good time finding all the really lame Batman.
2: <laughs> exactly. And so the, the, the pilot just looks at him with a raised eyebrow and says, you made some of those up. And <laughs> Joker just has his best smile on. He leans in close, menacing, and says, "Google it."
1: (laughs) Like I'm thinking of like what characters they actually made up for things like the '60s Batman show, and their characters with names like Egghead. And like Egghead make Egghead would fit in with Condiment King.
0: Oh, they they listed Egghead too.
2: Oh, yeah, they had Egghead. did. Did they have King Tut?
0: Oh, I hope so.
2: King I don't think they me. did actually.
0: Yeah, I don't Maybe think so. I, don't know.
2: I. I need to watch that movie again.
0: Condiment uh, King and Egghead appear on screen at some point. Yes. They aren't just listed.
2: Yeah. No, I mean he actually oh, shows them. He actually the movie actually shows them in very very fast cut frames um, as he's naming them off.
1: Yeah. <laughs> someone had to. Someone had to work out what Lego Egghead looks like. Mm. hmm the yeah, King Tut was also technically a '60s show original, but I feel like I feel like people like to remember Egghead more just because he was Vincent Price.
2: Yeah, which I mean, fair. Yeah, Vincent Price just makes everything better.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like, plus this—the image of him that Wikipedia has of just him with the raised eyebrow holding an egg is absolutely just wonderful. God rest his soul. Let me just put this. Let me put this here in the chat. so We can all admire Raghead. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's like I mean, the the only what like I feel like at this point, the only place that you could make a new villain for a, a new hero or villain is to just make them make a movie for them and just pretend like they're part of the Marvel universe or whatever. Yeah. And they're never going to do that because they've got like a million third stringers that they could put in. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. And they can have so much fun even taking the third stringer and changing them in a way that effectively makes them a new villain.
1: Yeah. Or I mean, a new hero. Like like Vulture. Yep.
2: Yeah. Or, like or, oh, w- or for that matter whatever they're going to be doing with Mysterio because So far, all of the trailers have been playing Mysterio very straight in the way he's been presenting himself, and from what I've been seeing on forums, everyone's just going nuts trying to figure out what's the con, because they're basically meta-guessing themselves out of Mm. into crazy, trying to figure out what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about... One of my favorite swerves they ever did was Iron Man 3 and what they did with the Mandarin.
2: Yes, that's probably one of the most what's the right word here divisive decisions they've made
1: I loved it that was like so amusing to me and they've like toyed with walking that back and I'll be very sad if they ever actually do just because it was really freaking funny it was pretty Mm -hmm. funny we'll see I'm not sure what use they have for Iron Man villains at this point anyway and Mandarin doesn't really tangle with anyone else we'll see
2: (laughs) and Mandarin was a hard fit anyway
1: yeah pretty much
2: I mean yeah, especially let's... a lot with a lot of the Marvel stuff you got to pare back and alter just in order to make it fit with what you have and not have to explain 50 other topics first.
1: Yeah, they like, have to be very careful about what order they introduce things
2: in. I mean I've I've read long and stupidly long rants about what they did with D- Drax the Destroyer in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy and I'm like but Okay, you've just listed out about 30 to 40 years worth of backstory for this character, most of which does not make sense unless you already have Thanos involved and attacking the Earth multiple times.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, the the thing that makes something like Guardians of the Galaxy successful is that it gets it like, oh, Drax is fun because of X. Mm -hmm. There, I didn't have to explain everything about Drax. We can sit through a few movies and then slowly drizzle that out.
2: (laughs) Oh, I mean, most of it got retconned out of existence to begin with considering That's Drax originally started as it was a human who got killed by Thanos and got resurrected as a Thanos-killing machine and he's been, like, through four incarnations now.
1: Yeah, this is what happens when, like, you're, you're still at least pretending to pay lip service to something that was written before your dad was born.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, Drax and Thanos both came out of one comic writer's anger management class. Pretty much. I mean literally yes they did huh (laughs) yeah and just like even from the start his backstory is the kind of thing that you just look at and you go like no no really dudes okay we're in comic book land so him and mantis mantis was also equally crazy
1: Whoops also asks if uh, a Marvel video game universe is a concept that could work, and I mean, like, they kind of tried to do that briefly when the when the MCU first started. Sega had exclusive license to like make Marvel games, and they made a handful of them, and they're all terrible. But uh, excuse me, the Thor one is fine, but like the other ones are bad, and <laughs> and it's just one of those things. Like, I don't think that they're willing to they they the reason that Marvel was able to make this... Wheels, I should point out, those always come out in the same order in the same places. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yes, I'm also
1: falling but, asleep, uh, so it's fine. But, like, the reason that the Marvel Cinematic Universe happened is that Marvel took a lot of very specific control and made all of those movies essentially in-house. Like, not precisely in-house, but, like, they had to have, like, final say on script on all of them. And they had to really take control of them. And I don't think that they're willing to do that with video games, especially now that Disney mm-hmm. has them. And Disney likes to keep video games at arm's length now. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure that they'll get, and amb- don't you do this to me. Um, I'm sure they'll get ambitious and do it eventually. They'll, what I should say is I'm sure they'll get ambitious and make an internal development studio again eventually. I don't think that Disney is committed enough to video games to ever care to do that uh, with video Mm -hmm. games because they'll, like, it won't take off immediately and they'll lose interest.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's why they've got, like, that's why, for example, they licensed out an Avengers game, not, like, having... Uh, Square Enix produce a series of games for individual characters, it's just like, no, you, you can make it an Avengers game where you play as every Avenger. It's like,
2: sure. <laughs> well, they don't really need to introduce everyone at this point.
1: They don't, but at the same time, it's one of those situations where like they don't get the luxury of sitting down and working out how each of these characters would play in their own like individual scenario. They have to work out how they all work together as a team which mm. is a different gameplay design
2: challenge. Uh. Or we can just check out that uh, secret City of Heroes private server that got mm. revealed last, a couple months ago.
1: Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Give me... Every time I see people talking about City of Heroes, like, it's like, I really enjoyed making my character... And I play the game to do something with that character, but despise everything about how it's designed. That's the only reaction I've ever seen. To <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yet at the same time, it's the closest thing you'll probably find to a Marvel successful Marvel RPG. The point where someone's, where Marvel sued them at one point.
1: I believe for having things like claws that came out of your knuckles, which they felt was a little too close to Wolverine. But uh, yeah let's see one another of uh let's see let's hit the rest of Lawless's questions okay uh, Final Fantasy 7 Episode 1 was shown and looks fantastic but I'm curious how the second episode is going to fit in is it going to have the full open world with that crazy snake in the water you're supposed to run past Uh, going to be even will that be even more menacing chocobos can we actually see them can we actually see chocobos mating maybe not that last one (laughs) (laughs) that's an entire game an entire DLC that must be purchased separately um Uh, you can't handle the truth um
2: I'm thinking only two episodes because I mean assuming they're going to be expanding Midgar a ridiculous amount but even then that's maybe a quarter of the total game yeah a quarter, a quarter to a third so like episode 2 would have to be everything up to the northern crater and the big spoiler alert
1: oh uh, you mean the city of the ancients you mean
2: northern no crater I mean the, the event against. of the big spoiler alert the one that is such a big spoiler alert that the spoiler button on our old website forums yeah. was in the shape of it yes
1: yeah yeah the northern crater is the very end of the game
2: uh, oh uh, okay so yeah the city of ancients yeah,
1: yeah uh but yeah like i I feel like the second episode is going to condense a lot more game into it even if i don't know that i don't think we're going to get just two episodes i think at the very least there will be three games but i feel like the that after they leave midgar i feel like you're going to see a lot less uh there's going to be less time spent just uh expanding content, because like, a lot of that content is very interesting, but there's not a lot of room for expansion of it.
2: Yeah. Uh, but even then, I, I can still see at least two episodes made out of the post-Midgar um, content. Oh,
1: yeah, because you get, uh, like, it, it's also going to depend on, like, it's going to be hilarious seeing what many games they keep, what ones they throw out, and what ones they make up anew.
2: I would like to see them actually do something cool with the Fort Eagle minigame that actually looks decent.
1: Fort Condor was a very interesting power defense real-time strategy concept that doesn't play well at all.
2: (laughs) And looks like a bunch of children's building blocks are trying to kill you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I remember playing that the first time and not being able to parse at all what the hell was happening. (laughs) Yep. So I could I see them actually... What's going to be great is that, like, Final Fantasy VII Episode II will come out, Fort Condor will be a minigame, but it'll actually be a minigame where you actually play it on your phone and upload your results to your save file.
2: I, I was about to say they'd probably be making it a spin-off.
1: Like, as, as a mobile game, it actually makes perfect sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not like they haven't made Final Fantasy sort of tower y mobile games in the past anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it it honestly wouldn't surprise me if that's what they do with Fort Condor. We're gonna it's gonna be really great when we get to things like the one time use CPR minigame. game Wouldn't be surprised if that gets cut. It's not that interesting, but it's hilarious that it happened in the first place. It's also completely unfailable, which makes it even more confusing. But it is it's interesting to see the choices that they're making with this game and how it's being expanded, because like one of the things that Nomura mentioned in a recent interview was that there's going to be more dialogue choices, which is weird because Final Fantasy has basically thrown those out entirely by this point. And so it's weird to see to hear the, art, the claim that they'll actually be returning to the point where there's going to be more of them than there were in FF7. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like those, those probably won't be of consequence outside of maybe re- affecting a relationship value stat if that happens. FF7 had that, too, remember? Mm-hmm. For some reason.
0: Did it actually show you that somewhere?
1: <laughs> no, that stat is never stated anywhere. The only way you can figure out what it is is by careful, careful uh, checking of uh, freaking memory locations <laughs> or by just noting what it, what its effects actually do, which is to say, like, how like what? How, where does what's the direction that Cloud and Tifa's discussion at the very end of the game goes? Who do you go to the Who do you go on a date on the Gold Saucer with? Like those are basically the only points where the game makes it obvious who your uh, what your stats are. But, yeah, yeah the they
2: the relationship stat stuff. Eh.
1: They kept putting those in games for some reason. Like there's those are in there in a vestigial sense in FF10 for some reason, and they do even less in that game.
2: Very strange very strange well for Tenon, it may have just been something extra that they cut out except that they couldn't be bothered to get rid of the extra code
1: yeah I mean there's like three scenes that affects and none of them are even scenes you would think about a second time if it weren't for the fact that you're discussing the scene with your friend and they say that they went on they, they went on the snowmobile with someone else but mm-hmm. yeah it's uh it's weird like that that was a weird decision that they made uh
2: yeah, no, it's not really a weird decision. It's more of a trend-based decision because it's something that you found a lot of in old PlayStation Japanese games.
1: Yeah, continued a little into the early PS2 era. Uh, Tales of Symphonia has one as well. Yeah. It even kind of pretends to care about it. You actually do get different endings. But
2: Yeah, and Final Fantasy X came early enough in the PlayStation 2's lineup that it had a lot of carryover from the PlayStation trends. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah, it's one of those situations where it's unclear how much, if any, those systems were meant to affect more things or if it's and got cut or if they basically reflected that as much as they ever cared about them.
2: So. I'm betting it's like somebody up in marketing said this would be a great idea and everyone was like, okay, sure. And then they did just enough to say that they were working on it and then it got dropped.
1: <laughs> we lost interest. Uh, marketing didn't care enough other than they could say it's on the back of the box. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, let's see. Who are the strong contenders that could outdo Pokemon this November? Are, there RPG, are they RPG, or are they RPGs, or will they end up being other genres or on other systems? I presume that's in terms of sales numbers.
2: Uh, um, that's a very unlikely scenario.
1: Yeah, Pokemon trends towards around 16 million units per uh, set, which is not something many things are up to the task of, and certainly not much that's coming out this year. I would suspect that in the initial Blitz, Call of Duty might outsell it, but I think over the long term it will not, because its tail is never anything like as long as pokemons
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: Otherwise, what even... Thinking about what even else comes out at the end of this year, and it's like...
0: Gooigi's Mansion?
1: I, I love it. It's not going to sell 16 million units. Um...
0: Let's see. Never know. 3DS1 Cro- sold six million.
1: That's that's impressive. That's a really good number. It's still not gonna sell sixteen million. That's true. Uh Animal Crossing might have been able to manage it, but it's not this year anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think Sony's releasing anything major this year. Mm
2: mm. Uh,
1: Ghost Joseph Tsushima hasn't been mentioned. Last of Us Part 2 hasn't been mentioned. Uh, Microsoft's basically all but given up and waiting for uh, Xbox 2. Still don't. placing bets. Please don't call it that. My, I'm still placing bets the next one is just called Xbox.
0: Yeah, that would be fine. Would it's it? Confusing, but fine. Would it really? I mean, it's... That would gonna that be a... when you
1: called something the Xbox, you could be referring to three things.
0: Well, the thing about it is it can play any of the games you're thinking of, so it kind of
1: works. Yeah, and that's why I assume that's what they're going to do. Yeah, Like, oh, it's the all-encompassing. It encompasses all things Xbox. It's the Xbox. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck, and we're going to have to live with that. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I don't... Like, so, Sony and Microsoft's first-party lineups this year are kind of... Eh? And a lot of the things that could, like, do crazy numbers akin to Pokemon aren't coming out until next year. So, realistically, no. That. No. <laughs> no. And one last one, something uh, <laughs> something we can all sink our teeth into. Suck and never dies. Sell these newly announced ones to me and everyone else. Oh boy. Um, what was that? They... Uh, saga never dies. Sell these newly announced ones to me and everyone else. Yeah. Three and Scarlet Grace. So that would Grace. be Romancing Three and Scarlet Grace Ambition.
2: Mm. Well, first of all, they are both much better than Unlimited Saga.
1: It's <laughs> a good story. Damning with them them with the faintest of possible praises.
2: Well, I gotta start somewhere. Okay, sure. so romancing saga three um, has multiple protagonists but for the most part it doesn't change the flow of the game that much with one and a half big exceptions um, because of the way the opening sequences work um, but otherwise it's uh, it plays very much like a decent later um, later generation super famicom rpg sure looks like one <laughs> yes it's very much like one it it's got some of the better graph i mean it's got I mean, it was made after Final Fantasy VI, so it's actually got better graphics engines than that game did. Yeah, um, it's got a great deal more variety. Um, it's got a, it's got a boss battle where you are riding a giant murder go kart trying to destroy another murder go kart that is on the rampage, um, because it kind of bootstrapped itself to intelligence and started attacking people. Um, you have to invade a cave that has that is full of rats, and the rats are led by a super rat named Algernon. came from the same place as the, as the murder go-kart. Um, you've got ancient demons trying to work their way back into the world. You've got about 600 years of backstory, back history that actually sometimes is important to remember. Stuff like that. Um, it's just, it's got... It's it's the norm with saga games where the world is usually a lot more interesting than the main plot mm-hmm. but in the cases of Romancing saga 3 and Scarlet Grace, the main plot is intrinsically tied to the history of the world in one way or another. so you're gonna you're gonna get to see some interesting things. Um, it just won't be cinematic in the way that Final Fantasy is.
1: It knows it doesn't have the budget for that, especially Scarlet Grace.
2: <laughs> no, I mean it's just like in the, I mean just in the paradigm of how it's made. It's mm. uh, at any given time. It's not necessarily about the main characters. It's about the world and the, the themes running through it. And yeah, um, with Final Fantasy, you can't really divorce the story that or the main motivation of the plot from the main character. You can in most saga games.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It'll be nice when those have firm release dates. That'll be nice. That'll be that'll be the ticket.
2: Mm -hmm. Um
1: Looking at the comments from last time, uh, I really want to take this Grandia one, so I might, I might do that right now. Okay, go for it. <laughs> what makes Grandia one a great game for those of us who have never played it, but looking, who are looking forward to the remaster? That's from Gudai.
2: It has one of the best romantic plot arcs I have seen in a Japanese RPG.
1: That's a big one. Uh, it has really, really nice uh, sprite art that they are filtering a little bit, and I'm not a fan of, but I mean, it's still a great looking game in terms of like the character art's very expressive. Uh, it has a very charming sense of adventure that a lot of RPGs, even at the time, weren't very good at conveying, but this one's super, super all over it.
2: Yep. It's just, it's. Made to be a fun experience, and it translates that very well. Even as it keeps ratcheting things up in the plot until it's like, okay, we have to stop this ancient elder god thing from devouring the planet, sort of yeah. maybe.
1: But it builds up so gradually, you almost kind of don't notice it until the <laughs> until you realize where you are. Pretty much, yeah. Because for the most of the game, the game, the main character's focus is still like you know, stop. Your party will stop things that are bad that are happening, but like the main character's focus is always just on finding new things. So. Yep.
2: Yeah. It's um It's a game with a lot of connective tissue between its major plot points and it it really has fun with the connective parts.
1: Yeah. One thing in the Grandia series that I always like that basically nothing ever in history has ever knocked off is the uh, sort of dinner conversations that your characters will have. Where anytime oh, that, is that the game, game. Yeah, anytime the game sets them down to like. You'll get partway through a dungeon or you'll reach a new town and they'll be like, okay, it's time for us to take a rest. So you'll like. Your characters will find a place to camp and they will like cook a meal of some sort and talk over dinner about what they're doing or like you know what's going on in the plot and it gives them a lot of chance to just sort of uh, have a little bit of extra dimension to them because they're talking about how their daily lives are affected by the plot that's going on around them mm-hmm. i'm shocked that i've never seen a game meaningfully knock off that system because you do have the option usually of essentially skipping through it like you can usually end the conversation earlier than before you've lo- exhausted all the dialogue, but it, it's neat. It's a it's a neat system. Uh, and of course, there's the combat, the, the well-known Grandia combat, <laughs> which uh, gives you a lot of uh, strategic options about how you're going to interact with your enemies based on how many turns they're going to get.
2: Uh, so, yeah it was yeah the, the battles were very very active in a way that actually worked instead of being too frantic or hard to control or wondering what the heck you're doing
1: yeah and like you'll get you you actually do have to care about where your character is on the battlefield like wanna when you pull up the defend option you get two options you get defend where you just sit there and take whatever's going to happen which makes sense when you know an enemy is about to attack a specific character, which is information the game will give you. But you, you will also get dodge, which if the enemy is trying to attack a range of characters, you, can actually, you actually just have an option to move your character out of the area of effect so that it won't hit as many people, which is something that you really need to learn early in the game. There's a couple of choke point boss fights that are designed around making sure that you understand how that system works.
2: Yeah, and the entire hit something in in a such a way that it delays the thing's action.
1: Yeah, or like forces it to reconsider its action entirely. Like there, are, there are certain attacks that like if you manage to cancel an enemy out of it hard enough, they might actually just change what they're going to do, and that can avoid really, really dangerous attacks. Mm. Uh, it has like a really neat uh, the the. The spell and weapon experience system feels fairly natural. It's like you always have enough information to know what you need to get them to get more skills or more magic. But it feels like you're you have plenty of options to do that naturally because each of the core spell trees does something useful enough that you'll probably be using it a lot. Uh, same with the weapon types. Uh, since, for example, the main character gets three different four weapon types. He can use swords, he can use axes, he can use maces. He gets different benefits from leveling up each of those. They level up faster if you're fighting stronger enemies, but, uh, (laughs) and compared to how, stronger enemies compared to what your level is in that weapon. So it's easy to, if one of them is particularly behind, but the game is also careful about making sure that his weapon, uh, his weapon progression is staggered in such a way that he doesn't have reason to just use one thing the entire game. Yeah. So, and that's that's true of all of them. and they, it, it's, it's just great. It's just a great game. <laughs> and we'll get packaged in with Grandia 2, which is also in a, an excellent game, if a less adventurous one. And then there's uh, Grandia 3. Which it's not being packaged with and we don't
2: have to talk about. Which tried to catch lightning in a bottle and failed to understand where the lightning was coming from. Mm
1: -hmm. Just sort of got burnt to a
2: crisp. I was going to say somebody in, somebody in the design committee just stuck their fingers in the light socket a few too many times. Mm -hmm.
1: It's a tragic game. It has its heart in the right place, but its brain is gone. It's, it's lost, but
2: it's, Hey, we can try Grandia parallel trippers, which is tripping.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would love to sit down and actually try to read enough of Parallel Trippers to mm. understand what's going on with that. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the existence, if not the gameplay, of Grandia Digital Museum for the Sega Saturn, which is just a game where you wander around as the characters from Grandia, looking at concept art from Grandia. Not sure how that happened but 1 and 2 are both like stone cold classics and I would say that if you ever liked Lunar 1 and 2 Grandia is basically Lunar 3 yeah like minus the world it's everything that, like it's that sense of like adventure for adventure's sake that uh, Lunar 1 has it has kind of and it both Grandia 1 and especially Grandia 2 have an advancement of Lunar two's Sega CD skill system which is an interesting one that needed an evolution, which they thankfully gave it. Um, yeah, like they—they they were the logical follow-ups to those games. They were the direct follow-up to those games, and let us never think about the fact that the last Grandia product that was made was an MMO that no human being has ever played. <laughs> uh. Grandia Online—it was online for in beta for like two years and then disappeared forever. Hmm. Yeah So there's there's your sales pitch for Grandia 1 Yeah, It's great Party recommendation from everyone here Who's played it I'm looking at scant wheels right now
2: <laughs> hmm. Well he's almost half asleep That's also true But
1: I also know for a fact that even if he was awake He would not have played it <laughs> Yeah it's, uh, it's, uh, it's uh,
0: uh, I played 2 It's a rainy day game I played 2 <laughs>
2: Yeah, good Play game. one, Wheels. It's going to be coming soon. You have a chance. Okay.
1: This is your chance.
2: Uh, let's see.
1: Here's one that uh, Gaijin might have a slightly more informed opinion on. How do you feel about Famitsu?
2: Famitsu? The yeah. magazine? Yeah. Um, it has seriously declined in the last four years. Hmm. Where I used to be able to pick up a... Um, just pick it up at the... Bookstore and look through it and find 12 to 15 different RPGs mentioned. And nowadays it's like there's maybe five games total for major articles, and then a bunch of like mini reviews for the entire advent um, visual novel scene, things like that. Um, Just editorial direction. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, it's just I mean, half of it's just the uh, industry has shrunk a little bit, it's contracted to the um, and a lot of it, stuff has moved to online yeah like and everywhere. yep so I mean the magazine itself is physically about 50 to 60 percent small um, thinner than it used to be most of the time and yeah. if it's not it's because they've got like a 20 to 30 page um, quote unquote article or, or more likely a pre-guide to the next big game so
1: yeah, I'm reminded of like American Game Magazine sort of did that same thing over the course of like 10 years but and the tragic end point of that was like 10 years ago yeah yeah like I would love to see like an actual idea of like the the largest Famitsu's were probably never as large as the largest monthly magazines in Western Press because, I mean, those were monthly and Famitsu was weekly, so... But... It's still one of those things where, like... Those larger ones were probably very large for any game magazine. Like, it reminds Mm -hmm. me of, like... Mid-90s video game magazines in the U.S. could be just insane. Like, I remember the statistic for... uh, Largest EGM was, like... Over 450 pages... And like half of that, like a third of that's ads, but it's still like the kind of thing, like who would ever do that? Who would ever, ever do that? For what purpose?
2: Yeah. But I mean, for a while there I was collecting, I was pretty much collecting Femitsu magazines every week and I never, I didn't throw them away for two years. Um, (laughs) So I had a huge stack of these things and it'd be things like, I'd just be going through the little blurbs at the end and discover a game that I hadn't even realized was coming yet. That's how I found the third DS Atelier game was coming, actually. <laughs> it's like, wait a moment, it's it's only been like six months since the last one, We're, what are we doing here?
1: Guess uh, what, buddy, it's back.
2: <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, that, those days are gone. Yeah. They're long gone. That's part of the reason why I'm not doing a regular Japan column anymore for the website. Just because it's, yeah.
1: It's not enough to cover anymore.
2: Yes, and what there is is usually coming to America at some point. Yeah. Well, anyway, dudes, I have to go now and give a baby help give a baby bath.
1: That seems important. That's
2: yes, it favorite. is.
0: Okay. I have to go and sleep.
1: Okay. Yeah, Wheels is dying. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's see the uh, questions on the Discord or the comments section. We've got some comments section questions left. We'll do those next week, I promise. But as you can see, we are actually going to read the Discord now. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay. See bye you,
2: bye. Space See ya. Bye bye. Bye.